Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. Today we have the story of First Sergeant David McNerney. First Sergeant McNerney is the company first sergeant for Alpha Company 1st Battalion, 8th Infantry Regiment, that's part of the 4th Infantry Division in the U.S. Army. He's going to be awarded the Medal of Honor for actions on March 22nd, 1967. So that's in the Vietnam War, and it's kind of at the peak of the Vietnam War, which is going to be important. But a couple different areas I want to make sure we dial into before we dive too far into this topic So or into this story. So David McNerney is a first sergeant. That's the highest enlisted position in a U.S. Army company. That means that he's going to be working alongside a captain, usually as the company commander, and then there'll be a a bevy of officers, uh, first and second lieutenants as platoon leaders, maybe a fire support officer that's responsible for calling in airstrikes and artillery strikes. But in terms of enlisted personnel in a company, the peak is going to be a first sergeant. And in Alpha 1-8 Infantry, it's David McNerney. Something that's interesting in this story here is that he's been training this company prior to their mobilization, deployment, going to Vietnam. And that's not common in this conflict. You know, we today, how the military functions is you you show up to a unit and you become a part of that unit and you work with them and you you integrate and you have your your leaders change out and soldiers change out, but but that's your unit, and then that unit will deploy together to Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, wherever we might go around the world. And then at, at some point when that deployment is completed, that whole unit with their all of their equipment roughly and their people come back home and they're replaced by another unit. So for instance, the 2nd Brigade 101st Airborne Division would take all of their people from Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and they would deploy to Afghanistan. And when they are ready to come home, a unit like the 3rd Brigade, 10th Mountain Division would come and replace them. And then all of the 2nd Brigade 101 guys would come home. So the units change out. Sounds normal, or I guess it's normal today. In Vietnam, the people changed out. So the units would stay, but people would rotate through for six month to a year deployments, if you will. So it's just a little different. The continuity was not... Um, the continuity was with the unit. So you'd have a unit like the 173rd Airborne that was in Vietnam for like seven years. And it's not that the people in that unit were there for seven years. It's that the unit held down certain areas with equipment and, uh, and assignments and missions. And then throughout the, throughout seven years, people would rotate through. There's pros and cons. I think probably more cons, which is why we don't still do that. One of them being you're getting somebody new in combat. And that's a challenge. It's, it's a challenge to get one new soldier in combat. But if your entire organization is constantly changing and a new lieutenant shows up and then a new NCO, and it'd be a hard way to do it. And I, and I think it was a hard way to do it. So what's unique with First Sergeant McNerney is he's been training this company in order to deploy. And when they get the call to go, he's not supposed to go with them. Um, but he volunteers to go anyways. I, I don't know why he wasn't assigned to go with him. I don't know if he was in a training role, but something that's of note is this is 1966. 
when this company deploys to or goes to Vietnam, First Sergeant McNerney has already spent two tours in Vietnam by 1966. So that's a lot. Um, Two tours in Vietnam by itself is a lot. To have two in Vietnam prior to 1966 is, is unique. And the reason for that is Vietnam was a, it was a war of escalation would be the way I describe it. We didn't, there wasn't like this thing that happened. In fact, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, try, try nailing down, you know, exactly when the Vietnam war started or even nailing down exactly when us involvement started, we can, you know, big paintbrush strokes of it was this, and it was, you know, around the Gulf of Tonkin incident and, and certain things. But I mean, we had people in Vietnam in the fifties, were we at war? Were we involved? I mean, were, did we have, yeah. and sometimes they were military, sometimes they weren't. So it's just been messy, but it's been an escalation and it's, it's been ever increasing. And in 1963 was the first real good solid number. I, I, I was able to pull up here today where we had 21,000 on the ground. Now that's advisors and military and kind of a mix, but 21,000 is still a pretty small number, but it, it would, it would increase kind of peak around 1967 at close to 600,000. But David McNerney has been in and out of Vietnam twice when we're talking tens of thousands of troops across the country. So he's a combat veteran by the time he's running this training, which is probably why they have him doing that. Nonetheless, when the opportunity comes or when his unit is assigned to go, I don't know that I would say the opportunity arises. He volunteers. He says, I'm going to go. Um, he's going to go do his third rotation through Vietnam. Gets to Vietnam again as the company first sergeant. So the highest enlisted person within that company. And they pretty quickly, um, a few months into the new year, it's going to be March of 1967. And now we're kind of into the peak years of Vietnam, really in terms of U.S. personnel on the ground. And his company and a Bravo company get sent out looking for a lost long-range reconnaissance patrol um, from the Army that, that they haven't had contact with in a few days. So he and another company, his unit and another company are tasked with go out and find these guys um, in an area called the Central Highlands of Vietnam. They go out to do it. They They, they make it through the first night, no major issues on the 21st. They wake up on the 22nd and start their, um, start the operation. Just again, trying to find this lost U S unit. They know they're in, in, uh, enemy territory here and alpha company, Bravo company are split up. So they're not necessarily supporting each other, but they ideally are close enough that they could as needed pretty quickly that morning, alpha company, the company that, First Sergeant David McNerney is, is responsible for, comes into contact from an enemy force. The enemy force of North Vietnamese soldiers, regular army, is approximately three times the size of Alpha Company. So Alpha Company enters battle that day with 108 soldiers. That means this enemy force is going to be between three and 400 in their home territory on the attack, initiating the attack on their terms. And the initial attack would be deadly. So right out the gate, First Sergeant McNerney runs to the sound of gunfire, right? So they're not, this isn't 108 guys bunched up. They're going to be spread out all over, left, right, forward, back. Um, just so when an attack does happen, it takes the fewest number of casualties instead of a large group. In turn, people kind of move towards the sound of 
fire, especially the leaders, like the first sergeant, to understand what's going on and start to react. So engagement kicks off. First Sergeant McNerney runs forward to identify what's going on and in the process identifies and knocks out an enemy machine gun team. As he's moving back, he's now got an understanding of what's going on and where the enemy fire is coming from. He starts moving back to kind of the center of the formation. And, and generally at the center is where you're going to have your headquarters element or your leadership element. You'll think about it. If you want to have the best view of everything, you're, you're usually going to try to be right in the middle. And then you can come and go from different areas as needed. So he comes back to the middle area. And as he's moving, he's wounded, blown off his feet, in fact, um, by an enemy grenade. So, you know, right out the gate in this engagement, he's pretty severely wounded. Gets back to the little headquarters encampment area, if you will, to find out that he's now in command. So remember, we were talking about him being the highest enlisted soldier in the unit. And before every one of these operations, and it holds true today, there's going to be a succession of command written out. And, and there's, it's the responsible of the, the, it's the responsibility of the company commander or unit commander to lay out, if I die or I'm wounded or incapacitated, here's who's in charge after me. And that list usually goes down two, three, four people. And it goes through those, those lists traditionally go through all of the officers before they shift to enlisted personnel. And in, in this case, what that means is that the company commander, the might've been like those three platoon leaders, a fire support officer, and maybe an executive officer were all killed, wounded, or, or severely incapacitated. At least there was at least one Lieutenant that was severely wounded and couldn't, wasn't, wasn't capable of maintaining command and control, but could still, um, I think he was propped up against a tree and could fire back. So I, I think he survived, but uh, not in a position to be in command. So that is how deadly this engagement started. Every leader in the company, every officer, I should say, was killed or wounded very, very quickly. Probably not on accident either. If you're the North Vietnamese, that's probably probably where you're aiming your first shots. Why not? It's going to create chaos. And that's kind of the risk of what's going to happen here with Alpha Company is chaos. If all of the leaders are gone, the assumption very well could be that the, the organization is going to descend into chaos and not function. But what the North Vietnamese don't know in this case is First Sergeant McNerney, this is his team. These are the people that he's trained for over a year now to get into combat. So it's not as though, and it's a little different military to military, but the U.S. military is so good about um, pushing leadership down, pushing decision-making down as far as you can, specifically for something like this. So if a leader is killed, the next person down isn't uh, doesn't panic and have no idea what to do. Generally, you're going to see them step up and do the person's job one level up, one level above them. And those are the shoes that First Sergeant McNerney stepped into here on, on March 22nd, 1967. So he's already wounded. Everybody, the, the entire officer chain of command is, is killed or wounded or incapacitated. He starts calling in airstrikes and artillery strikes, and he pulls them in well beyond danger close. There's, there's some of them impacting 20 meters from friendly forces, which speaks to how close the enemy, the enemy is kind of right on top of them. <laughs> there's a problem though. I mean, you can call artillery strikes, but there's a problem in that they, they really need this, this thing that usually breaks up engagements in Vietnam, air power. It's a, it's a substantial advantage 
the American forces have over the North Vietnamese, and it's it can it can end engagements, and it's a, a huge force multiplier, especially the helicopter gunships that can come in low with rockets, missiles, machine guns, and really identify, see the enemy well. That all of them, any any aircraft that can come in are going to do the trick. But they're in such heavy jungle canopy that the American helicopters can't see them. They can't figure out who's friendly and who's enemy. And they're not going to come in and do anything if they can't figure that out. So solution, First Sergeant McNerney climbs a tree. Remember, there's bullets flying everywhere. Many, many dead and wounded. And he's climbing a tree under fire and places a signal panel, like a bright panel on the top branch of the tallest tree. And what that does is that marks American positions. And he can say, you see that panel? We're west of that panel. And what that allows then is the helicopters to say, cool, we're free to fire on anything we see east of that panel, as an example. So he does that. He climbs this tree under fire, places the panel, comes back down, and the helicopter gunships start getting after it. I don't want to say necessarily that turned the tide, but um, that's going to be a big force multiplier for Alpha Company. He continues to still, you know, wounded, mind you, continues to move around the perimeter, making sure his guys are okay, resupplying ammo as needed, and and starts working a couple major issues. One is the enemy fire is so intense that they're having a hard time evacuating casualties. But that's not the only reason they're having trouble. Remember that jungle canopy we were just talking about? You can't get a helicopter to land. If the helicopter can't even see people on the ground, they certainly can't land through that. So he has to find a way to do a couple things. They've got to get these helicopters in and out to drop off more ammunition, maybe reinforcements, but also take their wounded out so they don't die on the battlefield. So to do this, there's a method, you know, they're, they're trees. That's the issue is that there are trees in the way. So how do you get these trees down so a helicopter can land in a relatively flat area? There's demolition charges in many of the soldiers' packs. They can be wrapped around the base of a tree, and you, you blow that charge, and it's going to fall the tree. Fell the tree? I think the term is fell the tree. But a lot of those packs are outside the line that is now kind of coming tighter and tighter together because of the enemy attack. So First Sergeant McNerney goes outside the American lines and is crawling around from pack to pack under fire, collecting demolition charges, which he picks up and then runs back to the best possible landing zone he could find and starts blowing trees so that these helicopters can come in and drop off ammo, much, much needed ammo and water and anything else they might need. And then he's loading the wounded up on the aircraft to get out of there, saving lives. Or I know he does some loading, but it's it's a lot of people loading up the, the birds as that's happening. So the, the kind of end story for uh, March 22nd, 1967 is he's everywhere. He's doing everything that's needed. He's being a leader. He's, 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 everywhere doing everything that's needed to keep his guys alive. Now, he would not leave the battlefield despite being wounded until he was relieved. A new commander came in the next day, which sounds like a, sounds weird to me that you're going to replace the commander like that in that situation. But but look, I mean, the commander was killed, but to fly somebody in and say, let's now you're in charge. Welcome. That, that seems like a challenge, but nonetheless, at that point, first Sergeant McNerney flew out, and was treated. So it was over a day later that they that the fight kicked off before he would leave. By the time he left the battlefield, and the fight was really starting to break down. By the time the commander showed up, it was really more of a consolidation um, exercise. 
Remember, the company started with 108. By the time he flew out the next day for Sergeant McNerney, there would be 22 Americans killed in action and 42 wounded. It's over 60% casualty rate in this unit. That is, you know, there's a tipping point with units where if enough people are killed or wounded, the whole group can just get wiped out. 60%, I think, is beyond that tipping point. That is very near, if not well beyond the point where they could have expected to just been overrun and completely wiped out. But they weren't, I think, in large part because of the leadership and the, you know, a year plus training and, and mentorship with these soldiers under First Sergeant David McNerney. So he was wounded, but he survived. First Sergeant McNerney comes back to the United States at the end of his tour. And in 1968 is awarded the Medal of Honor. In 1969, he volunteers to go back to Vietnam for a fourth time. <laughs> that that was th- this was something I read a couple times to make sure. I hope I don't have that date wrong, but no. He was awarded the Medal of Honor, received the Medal of Honor, was, was, was presented by President Johnson, I believe. And then uh, a year later, raised his hand and went back. So I don't think he had to go back the third time when he went with Alpha Company, and he did. He most certainly did not have to go back after he was awarded a Medal of Honor, but he did, and he survived that. He survived that tour as well. He came home and would survive and uh, would pass away in October of 2010 at the age of 79. But heck of a story for First Sergeant David McNerney, really kind of being the glue to hold his guys together during this battle in uh, in Vietnam, March 22nd. 1967, for which he would be awarded the Medal of Honor. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.